following audio is a Sunday sermon from Red Church in Blackburn, Australia. For more information about the church and its ministry, please go to www.redchurch.org.au. Well, good morning. We're going to uh, read from the scriptures and we're going to turn to page 715, which is in the purplish Bibles in front of you. Uh, If you're visiting and don't have a Bible, feel free to take one of these home. Uh, That is not an excuse, though, to use these as Christmas presents for all of your friends if you've not bought them. Maybe if your friends have no Bibles, that's okay. We're going to uh, read from Luke's account of the birth of Jesus, beginning in chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea in Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to be registered with Mary, who he was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping a watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of God shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. This is a wonderful picture of the Christmas story, told with sort of almost a cinematic flair. I was thinking about this and, and how you would shoot this. This is, this is made for Hollywood. Uh, I think you begin with a drone shot somewhere in the Judean sort of, you know, you know wilderness, dark at night, sky filled with stars, maybe flying low, not through Gatwick Airport, but just flying low and, and moving. And then all of a sudden, there it is, the city of God, Jerusalem, all these buildings in each flickering lights of the lamps lighting up the small homes and buildings in the night. Perhaps the shot could hover above the stone of the Roman garrison. The oppressors who rule with sword 
and strength and savagery, reminding the people of God that they're not free and what God seemingly had promised had not come to be fulfilled yet, that Israel would be this place in which God ruled out of and would bring peace in the world. The drone would pick up and again fly maybe over the Herodian palace where the people ruling Israel at that time, really puppets of the Romans, this branch of half-Jews who give credence to following God but don't really, their hearts are with paganism. Them maybe flying in the window, showing them in all their opulence and extravagance where their own people starve and suffer under oppression. Maybe the drone could go out the window, coming to the temple, the resting place, the dwelling place of God, a temple though, which at this point is not operating in the way that it should. Because as scripture has told us, at this point, the presence of God has left the temple. Soon in the ministry of Jesus, we'll find that the temple has become a place of thieves where trade is done And a living relationship with God has deteriorated, not just into religion, but a corrupt religion based around human power. The drone would then pick up, heading out of Jerusalem, again into the wilderness, past the small town of Bethany, out, heading towards the small, not-so-impressive collection of buildings, the town of Bethlehem. Flying over Bethlehem, maybe we just get a tantalizing shot of a very young couple looking for a room. And then heading out into the countryside just outside of Bethlehem, where we have a small gathering of some gnarly characters who live on the edge of culture, the shepherds who spend their times gathering the sheep, protecting them from wolves. And then we have this incredible moment. We have to get the CGI right. You'd have to then have the angel of the Lord appearing. Really interesting, the angel of the Lord, this could be a whole sermon, but when you look at the appearance of the angel of the Lord throughout the Old Testament, there's always this confusion. Is this actually the angel of the Lord or is it the Lord? This angel of the Lord then speaking what these shepherds have been waiting for, what the true believers of Israel have been waiting for, what humanity has been waiting for, for God to come, for his presence to return to Israel, to the temple, for the reveal of peace again. This angel says it's happening. And then all of a sudden, the big reveal in THX cinematic sound as literally the veil between heaven and earth is pulled back and we see everything revealed the heavenly host, the divine courts of God, these angelic beings who rule with God, this is all made clear in incredible glory. Normally in the Old Testament, if you saw this stuff, you died. That's why they're afraid. And then boom, we're out. Surely that's the point where God makes everything right And that's when the movie hits its crescendo, and that's the end of the age. The eschaton is immunitized. End of days, right there, right now, credits roll. But it's a tantalizing moment. Heaven and earth come so close. But then the veil is seemingly pushed back. 
And this glimpse of the heavenly host, all of the deep supernatural secrets of the universe that God has created, the door is shut for a second. And all of a sudden we just have a group of stunned shepherds in their probably quite smelly robes, bits of meat around their fire, the mundane baaing of sheep. And it's like, it was so close. Why doesn't God at that point just reveal everything? Just put all these cards on the table. Why doesn't he make the world right at that point? Putting in the skies above every culture and civilization a message. Here is Jesus. He is coming. The Prince of Peace. Press the button. Shazam. It all happens now. What I want to suggest that the Christmas story tells us the answer to this question. And the answer to this question reveals two very important things about God. The first one is this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says that you, as a human being following God, are being made into a living stone. That you're actually in the process of being made into something. Now that term, living stone, is a really interesting one. Normally if you call someone a stone, it's like an insult. You're a blockhead. Is basically, you've got a stone for a brain. But Peter uses this terminology of that we as human beings are built being built into something, that you're playing a part, that that stone is linked to the concept of the temple, that God is actually creating something in you and building you into something. So we're told that God comes and does it like he does it, incarnating into a small, weak baby of flesh and bone and blood because he believes in you. He believes in humans. He may believe in you more than you believe in him. And he doesn't just believe in you. He values you. He sees you as part of this plan that he is playing in the world as he's moving history towards his ends. He believes in you. He believes in humans. And he believes in relationships. The second thing that this tells us is that God is big into process. God is a builder and he's building something and you're part of the stonework of that building. And so he doesn't just reveal all, he doesn't just have the magic app button where you press it and the Amazon delivery appears on your front door within 24 hours of peace on earth. There's actually a story being unraveled here that you're being invited into. God is a builder. Kings build. Kings put up palaces, aqueducts, giant constructions to prove their strength and power. And so God's building in the world, but it looks different to how earthly kings build. But he's building nevertheless because kings show their power through building. There is one spiritual gift 
that is only in the Old Testament and not in the New Testament. And that spiritual gift is quite surprising. If it's the first one shown, and it's so established that the New Testament church doesn't even have to refer to it, it means that there's something special about it. The first gift, I'm not going to ask you to call out, I wonder if anyone's got it. The first gift revealed all the way back in the book of Exodus is given to a man and a group of people, part of Israel at that time. It's in Exodus 31, and I just want to read this to you. Verse 1, you can flip there if you want. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur from the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and engage of all kinds of crafts. The first gift that God gives, spiritual gift, is the gift of a building. If you've ever been to a spiritual gift seminar, often what will happen is people are wanting, I want prophecy, I want wisdom, I want leadership, I want tongues. And some of you may have craftsmanship. That's really good. And administration. They're always spoken of in this different way. But building or craftsmanship actually comes out first. This is an illustration. This reveals something about God. There is something divine about building and making. What is Jesus' occupation? What does Jesus do for 30 years behind closed doors, out there in Nazareth, no one seeing? When Jesus begins his ministry and he enters into the synagogue and starts expounding the book of Isaiah and people are like, where is this coming from? What do they say about him? They say, this is the carpenter's son. Now, you did your dad's trade, so that's also saying Jesus is a carpenter. What's really interesting is you think about how that's said. That's said with a slight bit of disdain, because at that time, even in Israel, there was a disdain around making things with your hands, and there was a hierarchy of what kind of jobs actually had some kind of social status around them. Greek thought believed that people who, which was the cool, hip thought of the day and still influences in the 21st century, it is the Western thought, believed that the ultimate place in the human was the mind and that the great humans were the smartest people. And so if you were truly at the top of the social tree, you were a philosopher. You didn't even touch stuff. You just sat around thinking about the great mysteries of the world. We still believe this today. We still believe you find someone in the elites of the world who is someone who works with their hands. We value the entrepreneur, the creative, and we don't mean actually making stuff, we mean Macintosh. The the, the person who is into politics or this or that. And I've been to so many Christian things where it's like, let's get involved in the marketplace. And it's always said in this particular way that, you know, we need Christians involved in politics and entrepreneurship and, and in creativity and blah, blah, blah. But you never hear anyone, we need Christians in the construction industry. And maybe said down the end because they're like, oh, we better include that. Jesus was a builder. Jesus made with his hands. That tells us something. That tells us how we're actually missing something in God's ways. Our own prejudice 
is the same as the people said, carpenter's son. Hebrews 11.10 goes even further, revealing something about God himself. Talking about Abraham and playing off that, the writer of Hebrews says in 11.10 about Abraham that he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Okay, God, first spiritual gift, craftsmanship building. He makes Jesus a builder. And now Hebrews is telling us God is a builder and an architect. He's a owner builder of the universe doing his own renovation and he does not care about permits. So we have this vision that is emerging now that God's actually building something. And so what this means is that Christmas is one brick in the construction that God is building in the world. Hebrews says that there is this vision of a world coming, an order, a time of peace where his glory fills the world. His presence is everywhere and he's building that and he has those plans. And what are the materials that he's using? The living stones. The human beings. God does not build with stone. God builds with people. And so humans... Because we're created in God's image, we're also created to build. We're always building. We're always making something, whether we're just sitting there seemingly doing nothing. Every action, every thought builds something. Aristotle said we are what we repeatedly do, and I would say we are what we repeatedly build. And so you are created to build. You're created to be part of God's great building in the world. Your life flourishing, your life having purpose, you finding meaning, you moving away from things which take from you like anxiety and fear and despair and meaninglessness and confusion and exhaustion is directly linked to how you connect in to what the actual end plan is. If you're on a work site and you are building something, and you've got a different architectural schema to what the actual master builder has, you are in trouble. Building plans can go off. If people get a millimeter wrong, they go very far if you're just reading off the wrong map. And so many of the things that we're hitting in the 21st century, not just people outside the church, but people inside the church, is because you have the wrong architectural maps. And Christmas is a reminder of how God builds, and it's an invitation into build and be part of his great building plan, working off his architectural drawings. So I just want to just really quickly just pull out a few key things out of this. Number one, in Mark 13, verse 1, Jesus is with the disciples in Jerusalem. Now, these are country boys. These are from small villages where the buildings are not very impressive. They come to Jerusalem. This is like going to Manhattan and standing in Times Square. And they're walking out of the temple. And one of the disciples says, oh, my goodness, look at this building. Look at these rocks. Look at these stones. Look at these bricks. Look how massive they are. And if you see the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall as it remains today, the last bit of the temple in Israel, you're talking these massive stones. And so here's this country boy coming and being blown away by the majesty of human 
stone, something that he can touch and see. Jesus responds in this way. He says, they're going to fall, you know. It's not going to last. There's two meanings in that. Number one is the temple's going to fall, and it does. 40 years later, when Vespasian's armies come and destroy the temple. But secondly, it means we as humans will be constantly tempted by a different kind of building, which is in the material, which is in the temporal, which is based around earthly metrics and earthly glory and things which we build in order to build ourselves up. When we try and do things to build ourselves up versus building to God's plans, Jesus says, it's all good for So we're actually building something different. We're actually building, but we're building something which is unseen. We're building something which is spiritual. You're building something and you are a living stone. So first thing, build the right kinds of bricks. Look for the right kinds of bricks. Build Jesus' kinds of bricks. The second thing is, when you reframe your life and understand it as partnering with God on his work site, building his plans, this changes how you see life. If you're an apprentice and you wake up one morning and it's winter July and it's freezing, I'm just not feeling it today. And you ring the guy you work for and you say, hi, I just don't feel creative today. I just don't feel it. I just don't have it in me. You know, some days you're just in flow and sink, and that's not today. Try that on a work site. That may work in a co-working space when you're working for yourself. When you tell yourself, I just don't feel it today. But when you are actually working on a project, and it's not just all about what is going on in your head and your feelings, you actually get drawn into a process, drawn into a story, which is actually not about your feelings. This is about something different. This is about a different way of looking at the world. And I want to help you see that everything that you do is actually putting a brick. So we have intent in our heads. So many of us want to do things for God. And we want to live good lives for God. But what we do is we disconnect intent and action. When you build, you link intent and action. If you're on a work site all day and you get nothing done, but you're like, but I imagined it. I had so much intent of building that wall. And you're telling the person that you're working for, it's okay, I had amazing intent today. You should have seen what I was imagining. Your wall looks incredible in my mind. See, everything that we do has the potential to be holy. Everything that we do Every mundane action has the potential to be a brick. When you do something and you do it with an attitude where you're doing it for the glory of God, you're actually putting a brick in God's temple. The temple in Israel has fallen. God's building a new temple in which he, wishes to, in which he wants to dwell. So every time you do something to the glory of God, you're putting a brick. When you're a parent, and you're just getting smashed, and you're exhausted, and you have not slept, and you get to church, and you may just switch on to God, and, okay, God, I've just gotten here. Okay, there's no screaming in my ears. I've not slept in two weeks. Did I even eat this morning? 
I have snot all over my shoulder. Okay, I'm going to worship you in that moment. You might get five minutes of just focusing on the presence of God and praying one thing. That doesn't matter. It's not about the quantity. That's actually a brick that you're building. When you give money to a cause that is close to God's heart, and when you feed the poor, that's actually a brick that you're building in God's temple that the world can't see, but is more real than any brick that can be seen. When you start to carve out a space for God every morning, where you say, God, I'm going to give you the first fruits of my day, I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to say, God, what do you want me to do today? When you open the scriptures, you're building a construction in which you're living in that becomes a dwelling place. See, you're building multiple buildings. First of all, you're building a little building, a little temple in your inner world, in your soul. And when you do spiritual disciplines, you're actually putting stones in your soul and you're creating this space that regardless of what happens outside of that, what happens with your job, with your relationships, you have this temple which you can operate out of, which God wants to dwell. When you decide to turn your inner life, then that goes a step further and then you can create a temple in your household, whether you live alone, with a family, whether you live with a share house, You can create that place to be a construction. Yeah, I'm sure it's got walls, but you can actually put bricks in place of holy intent, and you're actually building your house into this mini temple. God creates Passover feasts, not at the temple. He creates them in homes, because God sees that homes can equally be temples as the temple. When we at a church like Red come together, and we build bricks, every one of us, when we contribute bricks, bricks, I wish I could just build this thing sometimes. It'd be so easy if I could just come here during the week and just build, 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 and then that was it. It doesn't work like that, because just as God has to partner with people, I have to partner with you. And I realize I actually can't really do that much. I can give some sermons and plan some stuff, but a church is only a church when a group of people come together and actually make spiritual building and insert blocks. Mortar another block. In the last few months, we've started contending prayer where we come together and just pray, God, move in this service. Move. Do something. We need you at this time. We need you to move. And that's a brick versus the bricks which get taken away when we just see churches consuming. We just turn up and say, how's it going to be today? Had to walk a little bit to get a car parked. Sermon's a bit off today. Oh, that's a bum note. That's knocking down bricks. But when you invest, you're building and we're creating something. And what we need to realize is that all of this building is for a purpose. Recently, we renovated our house. And it was a complete gutting of our house. Like literally, the roof was there. All the plaster was taken out inside. It was like your house. And what always happens when they demolish stuff, it happens so quickly. I think you're emotionally attached to stuff. So you're expecting it to like happen over several weeks where they come in and check with you. I'm going to take this. Okay, okay, yep. How do you feel about this? Can we just leave that, that bathroom till Tuesday? I'm still attached to that. It's like, they're not, all right, no, I see. And then you come back like 48 hours later and the thing is almost destroyed and it's totally ripped down. You're like, how can that ever be built up again? So we handed the keys of our house over to Steve, who may be here somewhere. And it's like, oh, 
Okay. And you hand it over. And you're like excited, but you're also like, what's going to happen? And then you come back and 48 hours later, like, you guys destroyed my home. I'm paying you to destroy my house. Because, this is really key, before God can build you up, he sometimes has to break you down. In 2018, there's been a bunch of breaking down. And if you feel broken down and you're like, this is all lovely, living stones and, and, and bricks, but I just feel like a heap of rubble right now, that's the exact spot it needs to be for a master build to happen. Because if you're like, oh, I just want to have this wall here, I want to keep that wall, and I built that one, and that's my career, or that's my personality, or here's my relationships, and God, can you just come in and just do a bathroom? Mint. It's just not going to work. So actually, actually, if you're looking at your life, or your spiritual life, or whatever it may be, and it's just a heap of rubble, brilliant. That's what God builds on. So for months, like we lived in this house and you're squashed in this house that you're renting and you sort of come and you visit. I've got to say, Trudy did most of the visiting. Before we did, for many years, Trudy and I would watch Grand Designs. And there was like particular, there's like different Grand Designs to show, which goes in different directions. There's the fighting couple who almost like fall apart. That's like World War Three. Um, there's the people who just got money to burn. There's the people who go broke. Um, but there was one particular guy that I wanted to be. And that was like, there's a few episodes where the guy rocks up at the first one. He's like, yeah, hi. Yeah, that's what I want. And then you don't see him till the end. And he just appears and just rocks up into the house. That was me. Trudy did all of the, the interrelating and working through it. And you slowly see this change happening. Now, what's really interesting is we expect building a spiritual life to be like Uber Eats where we hit the button and not have to get off our couch and it arrives at our door within minutes. That's not how the spiritual life works. The spiritual life works like building. It takes a long time. You rock up and seemingly stuff hasn't happened, but foundations are being put in. Wiring's being put in. Plumbing's being put in. Key things are being put in to rebuild. Now, some of you are in that place. Your life is not rubble, but you're actually like, man, okay, I've been pushing in at red. I've been doing stuff, but I don't see a lot of whole action happening. Do not be discouraged because foundations are being put in. Some of you in place of being a servant. Some of you in a place of investment. Some of you in a place of hiddenness, of anonymity, where God's asking you to be true in the spaces that no one sees. Don't be discouraged because great buildings need great foundations. And then slowly, the house begins to take shape. And you rock up and something really cool's happened. And, you know, the back part of the windows has been put in or whatever. And you get this sense of excitement. And that's what some of us have experienced this year, where new breakthroughs have happened. Deeper intimacy with God. Victory in certain areas. Sin has gone. New relationships are built. Habits that are holy have been in place. And you say, excitement. But you know what the really interesting thing is? The whole reason the builder builds is not to live in the house. The whole reason the builder builds, and I remember the day when we got the keys, and it's been going on for ages, and you rock up, and the builders have got. And now it's time to dwell. 
The reason that God is building is so that he dwells. Where this is all going is God dwelling. The end of history, what Abraham's looking for, the city that God is architect and builder of, is a place where his fullness and his glory is everywhere. The reveal that we got in Luke is simply a taste to whet your appetite for where history goes, for where your life goes. And so what we do now, what the Christian life is, is living out that future now, building those invisible bricks to human eyes, but which resonate as sparkling stones in the heavenly imagination. So 2018, there's a bunch of rocks placed in this church. God has been building a foundation. But you know what? A build isn't over. We're just seeing some cool parts go into place. But the church is a place of building. It's not, as I said, it's not Uber Eats. Until Christ comes again, or we go to make, meet our maker, it's building time. So let's build. 2019 is a time of building. And those little rocks that we put in, whether they be small or big, begin to build something. And more of his presence comes. The victory that you have in your inner temple, your home temple, your temple at work, maybe just the cubicle you work at, or the work site, whatever it may be. More of those things, what you do in church, those investments. Rocks are investments in God's future that have returns because they're building something. So 2019, as a church, you as an individual... Get building. Get excited. Look at the right blocks. God wants to do something new. You are his precious stone. He believes in you more than you believe in yourself. Don't believe the rubbish architectural plans given to you by a culture that is just about your own glory or is about a bunch of pleasure because those plans lead to destruction. The story of Babel is not that they try and get to heaven, it's that they want God to come down to them so they can manipulate him and have their own human-controlled temples. Didn't work then, doesn't work now. Something exciting is happening, something is building. God wants to do something again. Renewal is simply creating spaces in which he comes to dwell. So what we're going to do now, the last time in 2018, is we're going to take communion. We get to sit down with God, temples and dwelling places of God were where you ate with God, where you came and you ate with him. And we're going to do that now. We don't have to do that in a temple. We don't need all different kinds of religious rituals to get around. Jesus takes all those religious rituals. He says, the temple's falling. Religion as we know it has going to fall. And now you can just have communion. You can just eat with me in your home, make your home a temple, make your inner world a temple. So we're going to take communion now. We're going to feast with God. And what we're going to do is we're going to have this little meal. There's a cracker symbolizing the bread. There's the juice symbolizing the blood that Jesus gave. The end of this story that we're celebrating from incarnation to crucifixion to resurrection to ascension. Let's celebrate the bricks that have been put out this year. Individually, corporately. Let's put in faith and hope the bricks that are going to be put in your life. I just want to say, some of you are going to put the bricks in your life in 2019, which are going to result in massive spiritual change in your life. That's the invitation. That's the gift. You just got a gift card from heaven. It's an invitation card. It's better than Coles Myers card. 
And it will bring a massive return on investment when you invest in building in God's kingdom. So we're going to now just have some music. When you're ready, come forward. Feel free to kneel. There's a lot of us in the room, but it's all going to be good. Come celebrate the bricks. Ask God what bricks you want to, he wants to build in your life. And let's celebrate that God believes in us and the world that he's building.